Well, again, good morning. My name is George Davis. Great to see you this morning. Uh, if you've got a Bible or if you want to grab a Bible out of the pew rack, I'm going to ask you to join with me in turning to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19. So grab a Bible. If you've got it on a mobile device, that's great too. By the way, as you're turning, let me, let me just underscore something you heard about earlier. That's our next membership class. Thanks, Kayla. Uh, that's coming up uh, this month over the next couple of weeks. And for some of you, this really is a next step for you to really partner, to become a part of the life of our church. So I, I just didn't want to encourage you to try that out. Uh, just even if you go through, doesn't necessarily mean you have to say, I'm ready to become a member, but this will introduce you to some more information about who we are and what it means to be a part of the life of our church. So just, I just encourage some of you, because I think for some of you, this really is a next step. You know who you are. So uh, just challenge you to be there next Sunday. So recently, earlier this year, uh, we changed out the light fixture in my home office. So there's the new light. It's kind of fun, fun looking, isn't it? I just love it. It's got a dimmer, so I can put a lot of light on my two workspaces in my home office. So this has been a great addition. Now, when I say we changed out, I need to give you a little clarity on that. Um, what that actually means is this. A friend of mine came over and did it, and I watched we changed out, we changed out the light fixture. Now, we did it that way for a couple of reasons. First of all, this just isn't my area of expertise. Secondly, this required someone who had some competence in dealing with electrical issues, which I don't have. Thirdly, when I went on to review, when I went online to review this light fixture, here's what I discovered. I discovered people saying, we love the light, we hate the instruction book. Right? You know, the, there were lots of com complaints about, you know, how to assemble it, and the instruction book just wasn't helpful. So I knew I needed to call in someone with expertise. Now, my guess is at some point you've had frustrations with an instruction manual, right? <laughs> One guy told me after the first service, he said, I remember a do-it-yourself project. I opened the box, I pulled out the instruction manual, and the first instruction was how to open the box. <laughs> You're like, Really? Haven't you, haven't you had a project like that where you really got frustrated because the instruction manual was just, no, you kind of had to figure it out. It wasn't, didn't give you the right details. The picture didn't align with what you were dealing with. Even if you haven't had that experience, I, would, I think some of us as well have had experiences. We've been in workplace situations or we've been in, in school situations where we've been given a project or an assignment. A teacher gives me this assignment but he or she doesn't give me all the information I need to do. I need more instruction. I need more guidance. Or you've been in a, a workplace situation where you've had a project given to you and it's just that there wasn't the detail that you needed. Maybe you had to figure it out on the fly, but it was... Re do, you know that frustra do you know the frustration I'm talking about? Yes, okay. No finger pointing. Okay, so uh, if you know that frustration, just hold on to that for a moment. And here's why I bring this up. This morning, if you're new, we're continuing this journey through the first half of the Old Testament. We're in a series called Love This Book, and leading up to Easter, we're going through the first half of the Old Testament. And to be honest with you, now as we get to the middle of Exodus, the second book in the Old Testament, we come to a part of the Bible where it can be very hard to love this book. Because we come to a part of the Bible that is filled with detailed legislation, with detailed instructions with detailed guidance about a variety of things. In fact, when you read a little farther in Leviticus, we're going to be looking at chapter 19, you read a little farther, you're going to get very detailed instruction and guidance about the tabernacle that's going to be in the middle 
of the Israelite camp and all that that entails and, you know, all the different materials. And, and, and here's the deal. This part of the Bible can be very challenging to read. It can be very difficult to read. We just need to acknowledge that. A lot of detail. But this is, this is a good time to remember <laughs> this wasn't originally written to us. And, you know, it may feel, parts of this can feel boring or difficult, but you know what? If you were one of those Israelites originally given the responsibility of the construction of the tabernacle or the maintenance of the tabernacle, when you came across detailed instructions like this, this was great. This is exactly what you needed. You thrived on this. Now, all of this raises a number of, of questions for us. I mean, when we come to this part of the Bible, what exactly do we do with it? After all, a lot of it is very culturally specific. It's very much rooted to this nation now in transition as they prepare to go into the land. Remember, Israel's just come out of Egypt, and God is preparing them to go into the land. Here are all these detailed instructions about what that's going to entail. So what do we do with this part of the Bible? Furthermore, for those of us who are followers of Christ, we get to the New Testament and, and, and we come to a deeper understanding. We're, we're not under the Old Testament law. This really is, in so many ways, legislation for a particular people at a particular time in a particular place. So what are, what are we to do with it? Well, even though we're not under the law, I still think there's much that we can learn from this section of the Bible. In fact, as, as you read this part, of the, this part of the Old Testament, I think ongoing questions as we encounter the Old Testament law, ongoing questions, helpful questions, are questions like these. What, what do these laws reveal about God's character? What do they reveal about how we are to relate to him and how we are relate to others? There, I mean, there's ongoing truth that we can glean from this part of the Bible, even though we're not actually under the Old Testament law. Over the next couple of weeks, as we work our way through this part of the Bible, we're going to come back to these kinds of questions. And as we get started in this section of Scripture, we are going to start with what is probably the most famous part of the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments. Now, let me ask you a question. What comes to your mind I say Ten Commandments. And in a group this size, there are going to be all kinds of things that come to mind. When I say Ten Commandments, what comes to mind? Maybe for some of you, maybe you think about the movie, right? Charlton Heston, right? Goes back all the way to the mid-1950s, and even if you weren't born then, maybe at some point you have seen that. I think for a lot of us, depending on your background and how you kind of, you know, some of your life experience, a lot of us would probably say Ten Commandments. I know that's in the Bible. And you would say, I, I know I can name one or two of them at least, right? I know, you know, don't kill, no murder. I know that's in there somewhere. Don't steal. We know some of them. But maybe you would say, that's kind of all I know. I know it's, you know, it's kind of important, and I know it's in the Bible. Uh, but that's, that's what comes to mind. Others of us, maybe we would kind of be at the other end of, of things, and would, you would say, well, that's the problem with culture today. People don't know the Ten Commandments. Maybe you would say, I remember when they, you know, you walked... Wherever you walked in public places, there would be places where you would see the Ten Commandments. So maybe part of your frustration is we don't talk about the Ten Commandments enough. Others of us, maybe you would say, well, when I think about religion, when I think about Christianity, that's what I think about. Things like the Ten Commandments. 
Maybe you would say, when I think about Christians, what I think about are people that are really, you know, trying to keep these rules. And maybe you would even say, and some of the Christians I know, they seem to be people that look down on others because they feel like they're checking off the boxes and other people aren't. So all kinds of things can come to our minds when we say Ten Commandments. Yet I think in all of these conversations, in all of these kind of discussions, what what can often be missing is an understanding of the context in which these commandments were given. So whether, whether you can name them or not, whether they're that important to you or not, what I want to do over the next few moments is let's just talk about the context in which we encounter the Old Testament law, the context in which we encounter the Ten Commandments. Because when, when we begin to see these ancient words in that context, I think they take on a new light. When we see these ancient words in that context, I think they, become, they give us amazing insight in terms of living well and thriving in the world that God has created. So to show you that, we're now going to come to Exodus 19. Now, the Ten Commandments are actually initially found in Exodus 20. They will be repeated in Deuteronomy. But to get the context where we understand kind of the backdrop to the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament law, we actually have to go to Exodus 19. Now, remember what's happened in the biblical storyline up to this point. We've seen God, right, he's going to be working through Abraham and his family, Eventually, the family's in Egypt, and it becomes a great nation. Now the nation has been delivered out of Egypt, and we see them uh, at Mount Sinai as they are preparing to receive God's law and directives. And it's in that context that we read these words, Exodus 19. Look at Exodus 19, verses 4 through 6. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Right, Moses is given, this, this is what you need to tell the people. And notice all of this is stated before The people receive the Ten Commandments before they are given God's law. And notice how this this section begins. It begins with God identifying himself and what he's done. You've seen what I've done, how I carried you out of Egypt. That kind of language will be repeated at the beginning of chapter 20 when we're given the Ten Commandments. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of Egypt slavery. Now pay very careful attention to this because part of what we need to grab hold of is the Ten Commandments, the Old Testament law. These things are given in the context of God's grace and God's initiative. Right? Last week we saw God God has brought the people out of Egypt. Furthermore, notice he says, it's not just that I I have brought you out, and he uses this wonderful imagery, I've carried you out in eagle's wings, but it's also, I have brought you to myself. I have brought you out so that you can be in relationship with me. And this, this brings us back to this theme that we're seeing throughout the Bible of God's desire to be with us. Generations earlier, he had made promises to Abraham. 
Abraham, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless the world through you. I'm going to give you this land so that you can be part of this bigger story. And we see God continuing to be faithful, faithful to these promises. So notice what happens. God brings them out. He delivers them, and then he gives them the law. Notice what didn't happen. God did not come to Moses in Egypt and say, okay, here's the deal. I'm going to give you some laws, and if you can keep these, then maybe I'm going to give you some more laws. And if you guys can really grab hold of this, then I'm going to intervene, and I'm going to bring about these plagues, and and you're going to be able to leave. God didn't do that. Maybe some of you have had a, you know, you've had a job where there was an introductory probationary period, like three months, and you're going to start, but we're going to evaluate, and in three months, and we're going to see if we kind of go on from there. God did not do that. God didn't meet Moses in Egypt and say, okay, here's the deal. So we're going to try this out. So I'm going to give you some things to work on. If you guys take these steps, then here's what I'm going to do. None of that happened. That's not the way it happened. God delivered them. God brought them out. And then he gave them the law. Then he gave them the Ten Commandments. Now, perhaps your attitude is this. When you think about Christianity, it's just like, well, you know, it's, just, it's, it's like all religion. You try to do your best. You, you know, you try to tick off the boxes, you know, like the Ten Commandments. And if you do your best or if you do better than the average, then, you're, you know, you're a good person. And, and that earns you standing with God. Maybe you think along those lines. Maybe that's under your understanding of Christianity. You know, Christians are just these people that are trying to live this moral life so that You know, they can keep good standing with God. But all that misses the context here. The law was not given as an entrance requirement. The law was not given so that Israel could measure up. The law was given in the context of a relationship that God had already established through his grace and initiative. The law was not about entering into this relationship. It was about expressing and experiencing this relationship. So through God's grace, he, he brings them out of Egypt. He brings them into relationship. And in understanding what God is doing here, there's, there's a biblical concept that we really have to grab hold of, and that is the concept of covenant, of a covenant relationship. As you read the storyline of the Bible, you you will discover that God enters into relationship with people through covenants. He is a covenant-making God. We've already seen that he entered into a covenant with Abraham and made certain promises. Here he enters into a covenant relationship with Israel. We'll read further and we will see a covenant with King David. We'll read further into the prophets in the Old Testament. And and what we will learn is all of these covenants are really in anticipation of a new covenant that God is one day going to do in, in a new and deeper way. And that anticipates the ministry of Jesus such that when... When we get to the life of Christ, right as he is preparing to go to the cross and right as he is celebrating that last supper with his disciples, he takes the cup and he says, this is the blood of what? The new covenant. God is a covenant-making God who brings people into relationship through covenant. 
Now, what, is, what does that mean? A scholar who's done a lot of work on this concept of covenant is an Old Testament scholar by the name of Gordon Hugenberger. This is his definition. It's a bit dry, but I think it becomes very clear when you wrestle with it a little bit. He writes, a covenant in a normal sense is an elected as opposed to a natural relationship of obligation under oath. Now, here's what he's getting at. Let me just kind of unpack this with you for a moment. A covenant is it's, it's a long-term relationship. And in different ways, you see in the Bible, this this long-term relationship involves commitment, it involves love, it involves loyalty, it involves protection, it involves friendship, it involves promise-keeping. It's not a contract. It's not simply transactional. It's, it's, it's longer term. It's a covenant. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm on Amazon all the time, and sometimes in buying books, I'll end up working with a third-party vendor, some crazy bookstore somewhere. Maybe I'll find a used book, and so I'll order the book. There's a transaction, but, but that's a one-time deal. I may, I'll probably never deal with that vendor again. I mean, it's, it's transactional. It's a contract for a purchase of a particular item, but it's not a covenant. A covenant is a long-term relationship. Furthermore, notice he says a covenant in a normal sense is an elected as opposed to a natural relationship. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, he means that people choose to be in a covenant. And in choosing to be in a covenant, there there are obligations that come with a covenant. There are requirements that come if this relationship is to thrive and it is to flourish and it is to live out its intent and It's a relationship, a commitment that is made under oath. The best modern-day example of a covenant is a marriage ceremony. So, you know, now over 26 years ago, Rose and I stood in front of a group of people at a church in suburban Milwaukee. Several hundred people we stood before, friends and family. Probably need to clarify that, friends and family. Basically, her friends. Because I'm an introvert, it was basically her friends. <laughs> I kid you not, I spent, the, I spent the entire wedding reception go, hi, how are you? How do you know my wife? Uh, that's how, that was my... So several hundred people. And we stood before these several hundred people. And in a solemn moment, we took oaths that sealed our covenant. And we made vows to one another. And at the heart of those vows, this wasn't, these weren't legalistic things to check off. Rather, the vows were expressions of what it's going to take for this relationship to flourish, to thrive as we commit ourselves to each other as husband and wife. We entered into a covenant. God is entering into a covenant with Israel that's introduced in Exodus 19. In fact, Exodus chapters 19 through 24 is sometimes referred to as the book of the covenant. You see the concept of covenant introduced here at the beginning of chapter 19. The covenant is ratified, kind of formalized in a a solemn way in chapter 24. And what we get in the Ten Commandments are the foundational commitments, the foundational obligations that are part of this relationship, this covenant. 
Once again, they're not given so that, you know, this is what you gotta, this is what you gotta do to get in, this is what you have to do to measure up. They're given so that the people can flourish, they can thrive in this relationship. This covenant that God has established by his grace. In fact, as, as they enter into this relationship, notice the opportunity that is before him. Notice, notice kind of what God is setting out for the nation of Israel. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. It's a fascinating term that is used here for treasured possession. You know, something unique and valuable to the monarch. Yes, the monarch owned the entire realm, but this, this was the treasured possession. Do this thought experiment with me. If, you know, if tonight you woke up in your apartment, dorm room, or home, and there was a fire on your property, and you had to get out quickly, and you couldn't carry everything, what are the things that you would carry out? What are things you would grab? Maybe, maybe for some of us, you know, it's, it's a photo album. I remember as a doctoral student, uh, I, as, as I was working on my thesis, I always traveled with a copy of my dissertation. Because if, if, you know, if, the, if, if the home ever went up that I was living in, there was a copy elsewhere. Because this, this was my treasured possession. If there was a fire in your place this evening and you grabbed certain things to go out, they would be things that were meaningful and significant to you. Now, all the stuff is yours. But the things you would grab most likely would be things you would consider to be treasured possessions. God said, look, all the world is mine, but as you, I'm bringing you into this relationship, and as you embrace this covenant, you're going to be my treasured possession. And you're going to be my treasured possession because I have a mission for you. And notice what that is. If you made me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God is saying, look, the whole world is mine. All of it is mine. I have created it all. But he's telling the people, but within that, you are to be my treasured possession because I have a specific mission for you. You, do or be, you are to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now think about those terms. First of all, kingdom of priests. As we read uh, further through the Old Testament legislation, you will see directions, legislations, uh, legislation specifically given to the priesthood. There would be a specific priesthood within Israel. But at another level, all of Israel was to have a priestly function. What's that getting at? Well, think about what a priest does. What does a priest do? Among other things, a priest represents God to others, bringing the knowledge of God to others and bringing others to God. And as they served as a kingdom of priests, they were to be a holy nation. Now, on the, on the one hand, they were going to be like other nations. They were going to be this, you know, this small nation in the ancient world. They were going to be like other nations. But they were to be a holy nation. While they were like other nations, they were to be different 
as well because they were to represent the character of God. In other words, what what God was telling the people here is, I'm bringing you into relationship, and as you embrace this covenant, as you embrace this relationship, you are going to reflect my character to the people around you, to the nations around you. This theme is, is expressed specifically in Deuteronomy 4 before the nation ultimately goes into the new land. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully. Why? For this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. God is saying, I brought you into relationship and now I'm giving you all this, all this legislation, all of these laws. But if you will embrace this relationship as a covenant relationship and embrace me in covenant, then as you live out these laws and directives in terms of how you relate to other people, how you resolve conflict, how you engage property issues, and all of these things, you will over time reflect my character to the nations around you. You will be part of this bigger story. At this point, I think it's helpful to connect several different passages that we've already encountered in this storyline of the Old Testament, right? We go back to Genesis 1. We understand that you and I, we've been created as image bearers, right? We've been created to, in essence, rule over God's creation, to reflect his character. We've been given mission and purpose in in, in the, the ways that we've been created. But, of course, sin enters the picture, and then that complicates things. But God doesn't get, get up on his, give up on his creation. So then we come to Genesis 12. And we've looked at that passage, and God comes and and he makes covenant with Abraham, and he says, okay, I'm putting a rescue plan in place, and it's going to be through your family, and as you embrace this, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to give you a land so that I can bless the world through you. And now that storyline continues when we get to Exodus 19, and God is building on what has already been said to say, Okay, Israel, I brought you. I have delivered you. You have experienced my grace. And I have brought you into this relationship so that now, as you embrace this covenant, you will reflect my character to the world. And the storyline continues. You see, this is the context in which the law is given. This is the context in which the Ten Commandments are given. So the people can thrive and flourish in this relationship and be part of this bigger mission. And when you read the conditional clause here in Exodus 19, right? If you obey fully and keep my covenant, here's what's at stake. God didn't say, keep the law and I will deliver you. He had already delivered them. He had already done that. When it comes to obedience to the covenant, That obedience was not a condition of salvation, but a condition of their mission. Only only through embracing this covenant would they fully live into their identity as being God's treasured possession, who were to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is the context in which the Ten Commandments are given. So very quickly, with that in mind, let me, let me just remind you of the Ten Commandments that we see in Exodus 20. 
come to the Ten Commandments, and they really break into two parts. The first part deals with our relationship with God, right? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make an image of the deity. You shall not misuse the name of God. You shall keep the Sabbath day holy. And that first section that deals with our relationship with God then transitions to our relationships with others, the people around us, the world in which we live, right? Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not covet what belongs to other people. So there's a section. It starts foundationally with one's relationship with God, and building on that, it moves to our relationships with others. The first part focuses on God, on worshiping him, being in right relationship with him. And as we embrace that, we come to share his vision for the world. We come to realize that all humans are created in his image. And then the second half flows out of the first half. And that's important because sometimes I think people get off track and that they kind of gravitate to the second half without paying attention to the first half. Interestingly, and kind of getting ready for this week, I discovered a national survey that had been done in Great Britain several years ago where people were asked about the Ten Commandments. And the majority of people responding said, well, you know, I don't really get the first part of it. But, you know, the second part, at least some of that, has some ongoing application. The second part's still relevant. You know, it's good not to murder, not to steal, not to lie, you know, to be faithful in your relationship. Oh, that's good. And that was kind of the way many people responded. Now, I get where they're coming from, and maybe that's how you think about this as well. But that approach has lost sight of the context in which the Ten Commandments and the Old Testament law were given. Now, that's, that's not simply a modern phenomenon. We actually see this in the pages of Scripture. Remember, remember the scene in the story of Jesus? There's an affluent young aristocrat that comes up to him and, you know, very self-confident, good teacher. What, you know, what else do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And what becomes apparent in the story is that Jesus quickly perceived that this guy is very self-confident and very self-sufficient. And he really thinks he's got life worked out on his own. And he feels really good about himself because in his own mind he's been able to check off the the boxes, at least to the second half of the Ten Commandments. He's been really good, and so he should really be in good standing with God, And right? So what else do I need to do? And it's fascinating the way Jesus interacts with this guy. He kind of pushes back and says, well, so why do you call me good? And what he's trying to do with that question is bring him back to the uniqueness of God's goodness. Because really what's missing from this conversation is this young man's awareness that, that life is to be rooted in a relationship with God, a relationship that begins with God's grace and initiative. He's, he, this guy's not, he's just not locking into that. And so Jesus kind of pushes him along and says, okay, this is how you're going to do things. What you need to do, you got to keep the commandments. The guy's eager, okay, just tell me, just tell me what to do because I, you know, I feel pretty good about life. I think I'm doing pretty well. I'm a lot better than these other people. I can tick off a lot more boxes than they can. So Jesus says, okay, if that's the way you're thinking here. Here's some commandments you need to remember. And here's what's fascinating. If you look at what Jesus does, the only commandments he quotes from the Ten Commandments are from the second half of the list. Now, if this guy were really tuned in to what was going on, he would say, well, what about the first half? But he doesn't do that. He's quite content to feel like, I'm, I'm, 
I'm engaging God on my own terms and I'm achieving this stuff. I can tick off the other box, those boxes that maybe other people can't. So I'm in pretty good standing with God. And he totally misses the reality that the commandments were given in the context of God's grace. They were to be rooted in a relationship established by God. So finally, Jesus just looks at him and says, okay, well, here's the deal. You know what you need to do? You need to go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. We're told he he just walks away, (laughs) distraught, disappointed. Now, maybe you've wrestled with that passage before. Is Jesus really telling me that to be a follower of Christ, I've got to go sell everything and give it away to the poor? How much? How much? You know, and we can then get into questions. Well, how much can I live on? Blah, blah, blah. That's not what Jesus is saying to us. Remember what's going on here in this story. What Jesus was doing, Jesus gave him that high benchmark because what Jesus was doing was exposing his heart. He was exposing the truth that at the deepest level of who this guy was, he really wasn't, he wasn't connected with God. It wasn't rooted in a relationship with him. And that directive simply exposed it. I think what Jesus was getting at was, look, I'm now here in a new way to bring you into a relationship with me. And rooted in this relationship with God, you were called to worship. And flowing out of that worship, then that worship is to reorient how you engage other people and how you engage situations so that you reflect my character and you become part of this bigger mission. Now, I realize, you know, even as we've been talking about the Ten Commandments, maybe we'd say, okay, George, I get the context of the Old Testament. But what does that really have to do with us as, as followers of Jesus? Because once again, this is, this is part of the Old Covenant. We're now under the New Covenant. Now, all of that is true, yet notice these words from 1 Peter as Peter writes to a group of young Christians. 1 Peter chapter 2. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Where is he getting that language? Exodus 19. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Do you, do you see what, what Peter's doing here? I mean, I think Peter is fully aware that we, we're not under the old covenant. I mean, that... The Old Testament law, it's a different place given to a different people at a different moment in the biblical storyline. That's over there. We're over here. But even though that's a different part of the story, it's still the same storyline. And Peter is pulling into that same imagery, that same language to say to us, here's what I want you to, to grab hold of. You have now been brought into this new covenant with God made possible through the work of Christ, his shed blood, and through that covenant, you're now in a new relationship. And foundational to this new relationship, just as we see in the Ten Commandments, is the expectation that, that, that we're to worship, that our lives are, be, are to be oriented to God, and that as our lives are oriented to God, that will reorient than how we deal with other people. And as that takes place, as we embrace this relationship, we become part of God's mission. 
And I realize that can still feel legalistic, but it's not meant to be. And if you're a follower of Christ, what, what you need to understand is this. What's at stake is not your salvation. What's at stake is your participation in mission. With that in mind, you know, here, here's my prayer for you this week. I don't know what this week looks like for you. For some of us, maybe it's, it's, it's you know, it's, this week's just like regular any other week. I go to work or I go to school. For some of us, maybe we're in transition. Maybe this is a big week or a challenging week for you due to something at school or work or something going on in your life. Even for one of the guys in our church, this is, this is a definitely a new week because he begins chemo treatments tomorrow. So whatever this week looks like for you, and I don't know what it looks like as a student, at home, in the workplace, whatever your life entails, here's my prayer for you this week. If you're a follower of Christ, that at some point this week, you come back to, hey, we've been ta- we were talking about the Ten Commandments on Sunday. And when the Ten Commandments come to mind for you, it's not about, I've got to make sure I'm checking all the boxes. Because when the Ten Commandments come to mind for you, you realize it's, that was grounded in a relationship that God established through his grace. And I'm now in this relationship that has been established through the work of Christ. But in the midst of that, I'm called in the covenant. And with that comes obligations and expectations. Not in a legalistic way, but I'm called in the covenant so that this relationship can thrive. I'm called into a covenant that invites me to worship to worship God in such a way that it it reorients how I embrace the opportunities and challenges and situations that will come my way this week. And when we live that way, as followers of Christ, we are embracing our identity as God's treasured possession. embracing the fact that we've been called to engage this covenant relationship in such a way that we live as part of the bigger mission that is now underway. With that in mind, would you pray with me? So gracious God, we've come to the text and setting of the Ten Commandments and as we as we remember those famous words, I pray we would also see the more significant context in which they take place, the context of your grace, the context of your initiative. Father, I pray we would see that as followers of Christ, those of us who know you, we've been called into covenant, not as legalistic obligations, not as boxes we can check, but we've been called into covenant so that we can be part of a bigger mission of what you're doing. Father, I also pray that the the people here this morning that that have yet to start that journey of following you, that would hear this as an invitation to them as well. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.